Amen. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Great. Fred's doing great. Great to hear that, Fred. How are we doing? Great. Um, I've been told we have crew this morning. And so if you are under the age or between the ages of grade six to eight, you are welcome to head on with Nathan uh, for your class. Um, for those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Jacob. I am the pastor of discipleship and spiritual formation here at Northridge Community Church. And I've been afforded the opportunity to share with you just this morning on just those two things, discipleship and spiritual formation. So we are selfishly checking some boxes on my job description this morning. Um, I think I have a review coming up, so selfishly that's what we're doing this morning. Um, I think it's a rather appropriate time to do so, though, because it's a new year, it's 2023. This is the time when we typically reflect back on the year that we just lived and think forward to the year that is to come and maybe reflect on some of the changes or, or at least like the vision of what we would like, that life we'd like to live to be. And so we typically make some changes or we call them resolutions uh, in order to see that come to fruition. And so what a better opportunity uh, than this morning than to use our time to reflect on our discipleship to Jesus and the way we are allowing ourselves to be formed. And so... If you were with us a year ago and you have a good memory, you'll remember that we did just that thing last January in a series that we called A Life of Apprenticeship. And that series was all about this idea that the invitation that Jesus presents to each and every one of us is to be his disciple, or the language we used in that series was to be his apprentice. And the goal of any apprentice is to become like their teacher. And apprenticeship to Jesus is no different. But in order for us to become like Jesus, we have to allow his spirit to transform us as we engage in his teaching, as we engage in his practices, and as we engage in his community. You might recognize that on the screen. That was my brief summary of three teachings, and so if any of that didn't make sense to you or why that, why those three things are the ways that we create the space, then I would encourage you to go back on our YouTube page or our podcast to January of 2022, and you will find the place where we unpack all of that. But out of that series, we launched something which we called the Practices of the Month. And this was our way of just highlighting one specific practice of Jesus, or more commonly known as a spiritual discipline, that we think is important for creating the space for the Spirit to work in our life. And these were things like gratitude and hospitality and fasting and memorization and Sabbath and prayer and memorization. And I'm sure we all have them memorized by now. Um, and so we've been doing that for 11 months now. And if you are an ac acute observer, you will have noticed that on January 1st of 2023, we came out with no new material. And that is because, as much as I hate to say it, the practices of the month had to have come to an end at some point, because eventually you will run out. Um, and there are surely more than this, but we've decided that we've brought the practices of the month to an end. Not because we want to stop talking about them, or we want to stop encouraging one another to engage in them, but because we just want to, to change the, the way we go about doing that. Right? Because up until this point, we've been talking about these practices as these individual things that this month it's this, then the next month it's this, 
And so we want to start having the conversation about how we can live a life um, where we practice these practices in conjunction with one another, um, a little bit more holistically. Like, how do we actually go about making my life reflective of this? And so the way that we're going to do that today for a brief, uh, a brief time and the way that we're going to be talking about this for the foreseeable future is through the lens of what the ancients called a rule of life. And so I'm not going to keep any secrets in terms of where our message is headed this morning. We are after three questions. We'll answer these th three questions and we will be on our merry way. What is it? Where did it come from? And why should I live by one? Cool? No? Nice. Okay, message over. No. What is a rule of life? Question one. Um, again, this is not, a rule of life is not unique to me or anything new. It is quite old. And so if you were to Google um, or Chatbox AI, if you know what that is, um, what is a rule of life? You will get something that says something along the lines of this. A rule of life is a set of practices and rhythms that guide everyday life and align with my deepest desires and God's deepest transformation. I'm going to read it one more time. It is a set of practices and rhythms that A, that guide everyday life that we actually live by, and that have my deepest, deepest desires and God's deepest transformation in mind. They align with those two things. So it's essentially a way of taking those practices of the month that we've been highlighting and forming daily and weekly and monthly rhythms with them so that they have the opportunity to form us. Now, I know if you're like me, the first time you hear about this, this concept of a rule of life, it's very easy to think, okay, so it's this list of rules that I am to follow that are probably designed to like, keep me in check or make me a good Christian or qualify me for something. Not what it's about. It's not rules of life. It is a rule of life. And the Latin, which is the language that this, this, we get this phrase from, kind of helps us unpack this a little. And I assure you I would not bore you with the Latin if I didn't think it was important, but I think it is. And so the word rule in the phrase comes from the Latin word regula, which in its most literal translation we see on the screen there is to like a straight piece of wood. And so in the time and place that this phrase originated itself from, the word regula was used to describe two very specific things. The first was a ruler, right? Straight piece of wood, ruler, makes sense. And a ruler is an instrument used to draw a straight line. And so when we think of a regula of life from that lens, with that image of a ruler, we see that it is meant to draw a straight line between me and my end goal. Right? It is, it is the most direct route between the person I am today and the person that I seek to be. So that might be a helpful image for you um, in order to understand kind of the, the intent behind a rule of life. But for centuries, again, this is not a new idea, for centuries, the most common image used to understand exactly what a rule of life is comes from the other original use of that word regula, which was that of a trellis. And so if you were to travel into wine country and get out of your car and wander through the vineyards, on top of seeing grapevines, you would see a trellis or many trellises. I think that's the plural, um, just as we see in the picture. 
straight piece of wood, trellis, regula, it's all making sense. Um, and a trellis is used to support the vine so that it can grow and bear fruit. Now, if you don't have a trellis and you still want to grow a grapevine, it will still grow and will probably bear some fruits, right? There's still soil, there is still sun, there is still water. But a vine connected to a trellis can bear infinitely more fruit because it has the support and the structure in place to do so. And so if you wanted to grow a grapevine, you would be foolish not to use a trellis. And again, thinking back to now a rule of life through that lens, a rule of life is the support structure of the spiritual life. It is not a long list of things to limit us to certain things or to keep us in check. It's actually designed to do the opposite. It's meant to free us up and open us up to experience life to the full, as Jesus explains it in the Gospels, or to bear the most fruit humanly possible. What a trellis is to a vine, a rule of life is to a follower of Jesus. That is what a rule of life is, in theory. What does it look like in practice? And so I want to look at a couple examples this morning to just help us continue to unpack exactly what this is. The first of which we heard as Joel read from the book of Daniel. Now, I know you were probably surprised that we read from Daniel 6 and did not get to the part with the lions, because that's usually the part we love about that story. But I think the epicness of that narrative sometimes makes us overlook um, the reason why Daniel got thrown into the lion's den in the first place. And so, quick refresher, Daniel is a man who was Jewish but was living in exile in Babylon. And there is this decree that is issued um, that for 30 days no one is to pray to anyone other than King Darius. And as we know the story goes, Daniel clearly does not listen and he goes home and he prays and eventually gets thrown into a lion's den. Now, when I used to read or hear about this story, I used to think that the reason Daniel got thrown into the lion's den was because he intentionally went out of his way to rebel against the, the, the decree. And I thought it was a story that, that highlighted this, this righteous man in his holy rebellion against the ways of the world. I don't think that interpretation is entirely wrong. I also don't think it's entirely right. Because as you see in the passage, Daniel doesn't go out of his way to do anything, right? And I'll, I'll draw your attention to verse 10. So Daniel 6, 10, it says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Didn't go out of his way to do anything once this decree happened. He just, he prayed just as he had done before. And so, as we see just from that verse, prayer for Daniel was not this out-of-nowhere rebellion against the ways of the world. It was simply a part of his rule of life. It was a practice that was embedded into his daily rhythm, that three times a day, at a specific time, he would go to a specific place, he would assume a specific posture, and he would pray. And this, this practice was so woven into the fabric of his daily schedule that not even the risk of death itself would prevent him from engaging in it because he clearly found this practice invaluable to the way that he did life and he clearly knew what it was doing for him and the importance of it. And so 
He prayed three times a day. So that's a, a biblical kind of model and example of at least a part of a rule of life and a practice that's, that's engaged in daily, weekly, and monthly. Um, I, I want to give you a second example and maybe a little bit more of a 21st century example. What does this look like practiced in today's world? And I thought the easiest way to do so was to just show you mine. So we're being vulnerable this morning. This is my rule of life. It might not be the easiest to read on the screen as I'm now seeing, but that's okay. Essentially, it is a list of things that, and practices that I think are important for me to engage in every day, some things that are important for me to engage in once a week, and some things that are important for me to get, engage in once a month. And so I organize my schedule around these practices. And these are things like morning prayer and daily Bible reading and, and fasting and Sabbath and life group and corporate prayer nights and um, restrictions about how I use my phone and my computer, all stuff like that. Now, let's be clear about one thing as you read through this list. Does this earn me anything? No. I don't earn anything from God by engaging in this. Everything I have received from God is simply a gift of his grace and his mercy. Right? A rule of life is not about earning anything. A rule of life is about becoming someone. And so that someone, the person that I'm seeking for that life to become, is my teacher, my king, my rabbi, my savior, Jesus Christ. And so I model my life around the way that he lived his, as you can see, in a rule of life. Now, am I perfect at living this way? Certainly not. If you know me well, you know that I am a, certainly a work in progress, but this is still the lens through which I can make sure my schedule is aligned with my deepest desires and values in life and, and God's deepest transformation. So question one, what is a rule of life? It is a set of practices and rhythms that guide everyday life and align with my deepest desires and God's deepest transformation. Question one, done. Question two, where did it come from? As I said, not an idea original to me or Northridge. This is something that has come out of a long time ago, 4th, 5th century, back, uh, came out of a group of people who we now refer to as the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And so a brief history lesson for you this morning. Um, the Great Commission, so, sorry, Jesus dies, he rises from the dead, he meets his disciples, he commissions them to go out and to baptize people in, in his name and share the gospel and, and the good news of Jesus Christ and then he gives them the Holy Spirit and he ascends. And from that point forward, the disciples did just that. They went and they shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And for three centuries, the church grew and grew and grew and grew in the midst of immense persecution, continued to grow until about the third century when the Roman Emperor Constantine, who was quite literally the most influential and powerful person in the developing world at that time, think president of the United States, said that Christianity would now become the official religion of the Roman Empire. And this was a huge step. This was officially saying no more to Greek gods, no more to thinking that Roman emperors were divine in some capacity. It was Jesus of Nazareth, the man that literally we crucified, he is Lord. And so this seemed, and in, in some ways was, a huge win for the church at the time. It definitely came with its challenges. And there is a pastor in the States by the name of Tyler Staten who, who summarizes kind of this era of the church in this quote. 
He says, there is an obvious pattern throughout church history that people of God always thrive in the worst of conditions. But when the church buddies up with power, it tends to lead to spiritual powerlessness. So the life of the church that literally couldn't be stopped was then diluted and watered down, and all of the appetites of the surrounding world crept into the lives of believers until they may have sang different songs and told different stories and had a different Sunday morning routine. Their lives, the way they lived and interacted with one another, was no different. The impact of the Roman Empire on the practicing life of the believer was so great during the area of Constantine that some historians around this time predicted the extinction of Christianity in their lifetime. Why? Because the church was no longer getting into the empire. The empire was getting into the church. Now, we're all here this morning, so clearly those historians got it wrong. Thank goodness. The church did not go extinct in their lifetime. But clearly they saw a trend, right? They weren't stupid. They saw a trend, but something must have happened to have stopped that trend. And so our question this morning is, okay, so what was it that stopped that trend? Um, and you could point to a couple things, but what historians will largely point to was the influence of a few, I will call, ordinary radicals who saw what was happening in the world and saw what was happening to the faith and they wanted to do something about it. And so what they did is they wandered off into the wilderness to flee from this altered version of Christianity that they were seeing to simply pursue a very simple life of prayer and word. And slowly but surely, as time went on, these, the desert fathers and mothers drew more and more people out into the wilderness with them, not because their life was more comfortable, it surely was not, but because their life was more compelling. It was very simply a life that was entirely about communion with God and abiding in Jesus and transformation into his likeness. And it was a life that was, I kid you not, outrageously intentional about making sure that every day's actions and practices and rhythms served those ends of abiding with Jesus and transformation into his likeness. And so as those now living in the 21st century, um, maybe we see some of the similar challenges that the Desert Fathers and Mothers saw. Um, I think, at least as I've reflected on their, their witness and their testimony, I don't know we necessarily need to withdraw to the wilderness or the desert or uninhabited northern Ontario. Um, what I do think we should be drawn to is the intentionality they had in the way that they crafted each and every moment of their life. Because quite largely, it was that specific way of living that eventually brought revival back into the Church of Christ. It wasn't an individual who was really good at preaching. It wasn't a killer ministry opportunity. It wasn't an empowering leader. It was quite literally a well-prepared and faithfully lived out rule of life. Question two, where did a rule of life come from? It came from a group of people whose desire was to simply get back to the way of Jesus and the life that they believe he had on offer by bringing the utmost intention to the ways that they crafted their daily and their weekly and their monthly routines. Question three, we're moving along. Why should I live by a rule of life? Why should I live by one? 
I referenced this passage earlier, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus says to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And there's a book I've been reading recently by none other than Dallas Willard, and the book is called The Great Omission. And the premise of the book is that the church, at least the Western church in the 21st century, is quite quick to point to the first half of the Great Commission, and a lot slower to point to the second half of the Great Commission, the part where Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And, and a lot of, this is a huge generalization, but a lot of the reason why the West has so reluctantly pointed to the idea of obedience to Christ is because we kind of have an authority issue. Like, we don't like the idea of someone, someone governing over us, telling us what to do, calling the shots, because we know in history that hasn't necessarily played itself out very well. Um, and so we don't like it. And even just the word obedience usually is viewed in more of a negative light than a positive light. But there's no reading around the Great Commission and in many other teachings of Jesus that quite literally the life that he is inviting us to baptize people into is into a life of obedience to Jesus. That is the life that we step into as followers of Jesus, obedience to him. And notice in, in the Great Commission, in that second half, Jesus doesn't just say, teach them what I have commanded you. He says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. He isn't just interested in us knowing what he knew or believing what he believed, but actually inhabiting a life that aligned with what he said and what he believed. And I think quite often the mistake that just the church in general in the West can make, but even just as individual believers, as we commune and dialogue and journey together, is to either miss the idea of obedience to Christ, but I think more commonly, it's to only preach what Christ has commanded and not the, like, how to obey what Christ has commanded. Right? The, how do I actually go about doing that? Right? It's like... It's like presenting the destination without a roadmap of how to get there. It's presenting the kingdom of God and this vision of what life in the kingdom is without any instruction of like, okay, so now that I'm a member of that kingdom, how do I flourish here? How do I actually enjoy life with God and, and flourish as a member of the kingdom of God? And so if you're wondering how all this relates to a rule of life and why we should live by one, what I have come to understand and experience is that a rule of life, it is the how. It is how we learn to become a person who is obedient to Christ and to, to obey what he has commanded. Not because those practices are necessarily exactly what he commands, but because a rule of life and engaging in those practices provide a structure in our lives that gives God the space to transform us into a person who can be obedient to Christ, into a person who actually loves God with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength, into a person who loves others as he has so generously loved us, and into a person who is overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. A rule of life is the means to all of those ends. 
And as I said, I'm, I've come to learn that this kind of, this rule of life, it is the how. Um, in part because of how it's played out in my own life, in part because of what I've read and in, in the witness of those who have gone before us, but largely because I've just seen it play out this way in the lives of those who I've had the blessing of doing life with. And I have grown up with a great cloud of witnesses, of followers of Jesus, who are certainly those who bear the fruit of the Spirit, and I've had the opportunity to engage with people like this, as I know many of you have. And what none of them have ever told me is that their Christ-likeness happened by accident, or that as you get older, spiritual maturity, it just it comes with it, or that you just naturally inhabit more of the character traits of Jesus as you get older. They don't say that. What they typically say, in one degree or another, is that they simply just presented themselves to Jesus, day in and day out, and gave him the space to work in their life. And in doing so, God did just that. He did his part in their transformation, to transform them into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And quite often, this is a slow process. Sometimes the Spirit of God, no doubt, has the ability to do something drastic really quickly, but quite often it is a slow practice as we give God the space to work in our lives through various practices and rhythms and routines. And as I said, I've, I've known many people who have definitely preached this message and modeled this message to me, but there is one individual who certainly has done this for me, and that would be that of my grandfather, um, who is Papa to me. Um, he is a man who certainly lived by a rule of life. He does live his life by a rule of life. He might not use that language, but that's certainly how he constructs his day. And as a result, now as someone who I didn't get to witness most of his life, I just get to see the effect of it. Um, and he is a man who joy and gratitude and hope and peace and love are literally the only languages that he speaks. He is genuinely unfamiliar with the concept of ingratitude. And I was especially reminded of him this, this kind of few weeks as I was preparing, A, because he modeled this so beautifully, but B, he hasn't been doing so hot recently. I know lots of you have been praying for him, and so I thank you for that. Um, and so he's been in the hospital for a few months, and his cognitive ability has certainly been uh, diminishing. And there was a moment a few weeks ago where my mother, who had been visiting him quite regularly, um, went in, and, and he didn't recognize who she was, which is obviously a tough moment for a daughter, and I know lots of you have probably gone through similar things with your parents. Um, but in the same visit, where he couldn't remember his own daughter's name, what he could still do was recite Psalm 23 from memory. Because memorization was a part of his rule of life. And because he lived his life with such a strong support system of practices around him, they formed him and provided the Holy Spirit to form him into a particular person. And that person that they formed him into was a man who you could literally take everything away from, including the memory of his own family, what you could not take away from him was the joy and the hope and the comfort that he had found and has found in Jesus Christ.
because he knew with all of his heart that the Lord was his shepherd and is his shepherd. And David Hammond lacks absolutely nothing. So question three, why live by a rule of life? Because for a disciple of Jesus, it is the means to the end. It is our main support along the lifelong journey of becoming someone who is obedient to Jesus. And what is obedience to Jesus? It's becoming a person of love. Now, we've answered our questions. And if you've heard a sermon or two in your days, you know that typically we like to provide some kind of action step, something that you can take with you as you go, something to integrate in your life. And again, we've answered our questions, and I, I haven't necessarily delivered on that. I haven't actually provided the, like, how to actually go about constructing a rule of life. And that's simply because of time. I've been told people don't like sermons that drag on too long. Some of you probably think we've already passed that threshold. I think I have a couple more minutes. Um, But a message of this nature demands an action step. I cannot stress enough that a rule of life is completely irrelevant to your life if an action step is not taken. Just knowing what it is and what it could do for you provides you nothing. Um, An action step has to be taken. And so... If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus today, whether you have said that for literally a day or for a lifetime, and you want to maybe take an action step towards being a little bit more intentional about how you construct each and every one of your your days, or maybe you're not a disciple of Jesus and you just have questions about the way that we live our lives as disciples of Jesus, then I want to provide you the action step to go. So there's homework. I'm so sorry. Um... And the to-go portion of this message you can find at northridgesa.com slash rule of life. If you want to save that in your phone and scan the QR code, I give you permission to do that now. northridgesa.com slash rule of life. And if you go here, which I hope lots of you do, there's three things that you will find. There is a brief summary of what I had the opportunity to share today. There is a list of things to consider when crafting a rule of life, things that are very important that I simply didn't have the time to get into today, things like considering your stage of life, your stage of discipleship, your relationship status, your personality, the importance of accountability amongst other things. And the third thing you will find is what we called a rule of life builder, which is essentially a survey with some questions that we encourage you to take your time with that you can work through, and upon completion of that builder, you will receive a rule of life directly into your inbox in your email. It's that easy. <laughs> that easy. NorthridgeSA.com slash rule of life. If you need a date night idea, you got a good one. <laughs> rule of life. Let's do it. Um, our time has come to an end. And, and again, there's a lot more that could be said. I kid you not when I say my original draft of this message was twice as long. So you're welcome. But if there's one more thing I could say very briefly, it's that I'm banking that a rule of life is a new concept to most of you, um, or at least the language is a new concept to most of you. 
But the truth of the matter is, every single person here already has a rule of life. We all have one. We all have practices and rhythms that guide our lives and that are forming us. Each and every one of us is engaging in those each and every day. Whether we are conscious of it or unconscious of it, whether those practices are written or unwritten, whether those practices are based on the person that we seek to be, or whether they're based on the over-promising and under-delivering pleasures that we seek. And so the main question to consider as you leave from this space today is not, do I have a rule of life? The, the main question to consider is, do I know what my rule of life is? Do I know what it is that I am doing day in and day out that is forming me into the person that I am going to become? And if your answer to that question is no, or it's a little fuzzy, or maybe you just don't like the answer to that question, then I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to bring some attention and intention where you may have previously been inattentive and unintentional. Do you agree? Probably not the worst thing in the world to start 2023. Awesome.